Here in the UK, this is a magical time of year. All of those fruit crops we've been waiting for are ready for picking. And those that aren't quite ready are beginning to show signs that they're ready for harvest. And it's not just here that bushes and trees are bursting with life. On a recent trip to Canada, I was really lucky to meet Anna-Marie Klippenstein, and she gave me a tour of her farm. So we're gonna head out the front door here and then we're gonna do a farm walk and then we'll land back in the restaurant for lunch. When we moved here, we started with five acres, which was like a nice size for us to move and learn tree fruit. Probably 85, 90% goes direct to consumers through the Vancouver Farmer's Market. So every week we bring down a big five ton truck as well as a truck and trailer that goes out. Uh, to do markets. In high season, it's full to the top. And then we have a third van that goes out as well to do all of our restaurant deliveries. So it's not going to be a surprise when I tell you today's science behind your salad is all about fruit. We're covering hard and soft fruit, fruit with stones and fruit with pips. So every type of fruit you can think of. You'll see as we're walking through the fields, a different orchard, so you name it for fruit. If we can grow it here in Canada, we grow it kind of thing. So these are big old apricot trees. You'll see that we have a lot of older trees on the property, trees that, you know, they still produce fruit. You know, a lot of people are like, well, when are you going to pull out your, like, apple orchard? Um, or replant these big old apricot trees. For us, there's a beauty about the trees around the restaurant that are full-size trees versus you'll see some of our the higher density trees that are planted on the farm as well. Um, the higher density you definitely get, it's easier to pick, it's easier to find pickers, it's easier to you know prune them, like there's a lot of things that make it a lot easier, uh, more efficient, but at the same time the beauty of like you know the way things used to be done, the way things you know the trees uh, around the orchard that you can actually, you know, walk through the orchard. You don't have to like walk up a row kind of thing, right? Um, so we've held on to a lot of those things. These are early planted melons. The melons we're not harvesting yet, obviously, but you can see they're already developing. So in this field here, you can see that this is like a newly planted uh, apple orchard here, cider apples that uh, were planted two seasons ago. In production right now we have about 26 and then we have another 20 varieties that we just we've put in in the last two three years. Maybe a quarter of the production goes into cider of apples, most of it goes into fresh market and then we do some into juice. Anything that's like number twos that we're sorting out gets chipped or nuggeted um, or juiced. Three more blocks of peaches, another two blocks of apricots, the ones that were at the front, the big old trees there at the front of the property that we walked by originally, those were also apricots. And then we have more peaches and nectarines down on the property by the guest suites. For this episode, we should have renamed the podcast series The Science Behind Your Fruit Salad. Obviously, we can't cover every type of fruit. So instead, we're showcasing some of our favorites. We're telling the story behind the production and innovation in apples, peaches, and watermelons. And we'll be mentioning others too, 
on our whistle stop tour of the world. And we'll meet some of the farmers that are striving to make sure that we have the best, ripe and juicy fruits to eat. Which leads me neatly on to Ali Kappa. Hi Ali, how are you? I'm all right, thanks Jane. Good. Ali farms on the Herefordshire-Worcestershire border with her husband Richard. She farms apples and hops over an area of precisely 200 acres. It seemed appropriate to begin to ask Ali how she likes to sample her produce. As a snack, often mid-morning and in the hand, you don't. You can cook with an apple. There are so many amazing apple recipes. You can have an apple for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Um, but an apple in the hand, on the go, I'm so busy. I, my apple is always in my hand, on the go. Um, that's my favourite way to consume it. Fruit growing in the UK has been going on for centuries and so has fruit production on Ali's farm. And the farm itself has been farming fruit and hops for well over 200 years, probably 250. I've got a lovely map from about 1926 um, on the wall and that shows cherries, strawberries, damsons, plums, except loads and loads of different fruit that we grew at that point. Uh, we've become specialists and we've focused in recent years on apples. So one of the fruit bowls of Britain, you could describe it as. Yes, and I think Herefordshire and Worcestershire and Kent within England are the two areas um, which um, we call Kent the Garden of England. That obviously annoys everybody <laughs> in Herefordshire and Worcestershire who think they are too. Um, what's special is that we've got a great microclimate, we've got really high quality soil and um, we've got deep soils and that's really important when you're growing long-term permanent crops like fruit. How important is fruit growing in the UK? Fruit growing is very important through the innovation of polytunnels and that took soft fruit from being a six-week crop to it's now a nine-month, ten-month crop. So soft fruit we are 90% self-sufficient in between May and October and that is a really, that's a very um, important story in the UK. Apples are a national fruit, um, but despite that, only about 40% of all apples sold in UK retail is British apple. It could be 60 or 70% of my opinion. A critical thing is whether we can grow all of the varieties that the consumer wants. And one of the ones that we couldn't grow until quite recently was Pink Lady, because the original clones of Pink Lady just didn't grow well in our climate. That's changed and we are now growing British Pink Lady. We have got a fabulous maritime climate. It's a fabulous climate for growing fruit. You're also very interested in the technical aspects of growing the crops that you do. How do you balance making sure that you get the best quality and give consumers what they want, but you also get the yields that you need to be profitable while protecting those havens of biodiversity that you've created on your farm? I think when you're an apple grower, the question of pollination is, it's critical. But if we want high yields, we need excellent pollination. Excellent pollination means that we need to provide a year-round source of food and a nice environment for those insects to live in. We started with wildflower margins around the edges, because obviously when we're in blossom, oh my God, we're beautiful. But it's only for April and May. And when you walk through your orchards, I'm thinking back to when I saw you earlier this year, 
they're very upright, um, they're very narrow, and you said something that's really stuck with me then, which was, we want to minimise the leaves and maximise the fruits. How do you do that? Well, we're not growing fresh air, wood or leaf. We are growing fruit. How do we do that? Today, modern orchards, the trees are dwarfed to grow to about three metres high. So they've been developed so that they don't become huge. They're planted about a metre apart. They're supported by post and wire work. They're pruned to very much. It's about encouraging as much light into the tree. And we want the right ratio between leaf and fruit too much leaf and it shades the fruit which then doesn't color up obviously not enough leaf and then the fruit doesn't get enough food how do we do it it's multiple levels of uh, varietal development rootstock development um, growing system development and then there are there's all sorts of technical innovation in terms of things like root pruning the actual pruning methods themselves um, but it also comes down to things like foliar feed and the nutrients that we apply, often through the leaf rather than on the ground. Um, so, it's, yeah, it is all highly technical, Jane. So while apples have been growing here for centuries, the techniques used have definitely moved on with the times. Ali was very keen to point out just how nutritious her fruit is. After all, an apple a day is supposed to keep the doctor away. The skin delivers fibre, the apple delivers hydration. It's full of vitamin C, it's full of antioxidants, it's full of polyphenols. What does all that mean? It's all quite technical. It means they are great for your heart health. They are great at reducing inflammation in your gut. They're, they're great for your microbiome. They are really good for um, people who suffer from diabetes because whilst an apple does contain natural sugar, it's low in GI, the sugars are released slowly. It's about 70 calories an apple in the hand. And compare that to what you might go for instead of a bag of crisps or a bar of chocolate. It's less than half the calories. Um, it's just a brilliant snack. And it, at about, it depends on where you buy your apples, but at about 30 pence an apple compared to a bag of crisps or a bar of chocolate for anywhere between 75 pence and a pound, um, it's less than half the cost. It's the perfect snack to have with you every day. The climate in the UK is superbly placed for growing apples, but where you live often determines what you can grow. Where I live in Scotland, I grow gooseberries, raspberries, strawberries, taberries, pears and apples. But to grow such a wide variety of fruit, you really need to be a little bit warmer. Whenever I think of Mediterranean holidays, I always think of the joy I'd experienced from buying huge peaches that were juicy and sweet. And our next stop is the hot agricultural area of Greece. Nikos Kassidis farms a host of fruits, including cherries, kiwis, and of course, peaches. I grow uh, my crops in North Greece in the area of Nausa. My farm is 20 hectares big and my main crops are stone fruit and palm fruit. So um, within our area, the winter is not so heavy. I would say we have a warm summer 
and this is considered good up to the point of a perfect climate for these crops. So I have 1 million kilos of fruit, half of which are peaches, so we're talking about 500,000 kilos. My, my main uh, crop production is exported, they go outside Greece. We face a number of challenges. It is the diseases, it's the pests, it's the weather and the climate crisis, but we need to focus also on uh, nutrition and crop protection. It is a chain of things. Everything is connected. So, um, any extreme weather is a problem to the crops and to a farm. For Greece, heat wave, but also very cold, creates issues. However, they do have some techniques and farming practices they apply to try to um, solve the problem when needed. As Nikos has just explained, he faces plenty of threats to his crops. There's always something trying to eat or ruin his fruit. So Nikos relies on crop protection to ensure that his peaches stay perfectly plump and juicy. Riviona is a broad-spectrum fungicide specific for plant disease pathogens. That's Dimitrios' service. He explained the threats that fruit crops in Greece, amongst other locations, face, and how technology can be used to safeguard the livelihoods of farmers. The main disease is uh, monilinia, also known as brown rot of uh, fruits. This is uh, caused by fungi and uh, it uh, destroys the flowers and later on affects the fruit until the harvest. And if infested in the field, the yield can be also destroyed later in the shelf life of the fruit. Another disease is uh, powdery mildew and a couple of other pathogens that are also the very recent year uh, have been also appeared. Reviona has been recently introduced to the peach crop uh, over uh, many markets and uh, is uh, a product that is uh, very active irrespective of the weather conditions, so under low or higher temperatures with a very broad spectrum and excellent curative and, pro and protective uh, activity. Therefore, it suits very well to the conditions in the, in the, in the, in the peach crop and provides the farmer with a peace of mind for, for its performance and protection. For the peach grower in Greece, Reviona provides a very good activity throughout the springtime, but also later on in summer, and with a curative and protective activity, uh, it, uh, he stays assured that, the, that his crop will be safe until the end of the season. And Nikos was open to any help that protected his greatest assets, his fruit. So I've been using Reviona day one, uh, and I used it in all my crops. And it is considered for us one strong asset to help us produce, that allow us to uh, have a more secure harvest period. So that, that was main, uh, the main assets of Reviona, the benefits. It's essential for us to have new assets in our crop protection business. It's a special time for Nikos right now, as an initiative has just been launched to link students living in the nation's capital of Athens with his farm. They are taking part in a unique project that BASF is facilitating. Here's Eleni Karasu to tell us more. 
Our project, uh, we name it uh, Pitch of Arts. We want to celebrate the amazing job that peach growers do and create awareness and recognition around farming and, of course, educate the next generation. In Greece, we love peaches. We love, uh, we love this crop and also we love this amazing and breathtaking scenery of uh, peaches during flowering. And this is how we come up with this idea. Uh, to, to create a project uh, to educate people. We're organizing a pitch project uh, focusing on the next generation and basically students on elementary school in Athens. So within this idea we will create a, um, a drawing competition with the subject of uh, pitch orchard and planning a visit on the farm with the school to explain to the students. They will draw a peach, a peach orchard, the, the, something that is related to the flowering uh, growth stage. So it's totally related to the crop. In uh, rural areas, uh, students are connected with the land and the farm. So our goal is to create the link between the farm and the city pupils. Um, the majority of the Greeks live in Athens, so we feel that there is a need to spread the knowledge and highlight the importance of farming for peach crop. And Nikos is really pleased to be part of the project. So I consider it very modern, open-minded, brilliant idea. It will help reach young people and help them understand how their food is served into their plates, really. So when I heard from Eleni the idea, I said, I'm 100% in whatever you need from me. I really want them to come. I want to show them around, explain to them details about how the production is made. Farm is open for them to come. And we'll be back to find out how the project worked out next year. Peaches are, of course, not the only super succulent sweet fruit that I love. There is one crop that always makes me think of summer, which is the watermelon. One of the problems that farmers have been tackling for decades is that they are an unruly fruit. They can grow to vast sizes, and whilst that's good for us consumers, their shapes, being very round, make them awkward for farmers to store and very difficult to transport efficiently. So what if they were smaller and contained fewer seeds? After all, it's really annoying if you have to stop and discard the pips while munching a juicy melon. Welcome to the world of Pingo Dosi, a watermelon. Pingo Dosi watermelon is truly exceptional in terms of taste. The way that we grow the watermelon can ensure the taste is right there. Nowadays, Pingo Dosi is a benchmark in the, in the Brazilian market. And yes, customers who have tried it describe the taste as incredible satisfying. The, the right balance between sweetness and juiciness. The seedless attribute also adds the convenience. Golmanetto is a seed breeder. Through breeding, a new type of watermelon was created. Making the Pingo Doce a reality was collaboration. And this was a, a huge collaboration between our Brazilian team and our Spanish team because they had made a reality uh, in terms of uh, same project as I can say it and then uh, they supported us in order to to, to create our own project here in Brazil and uh, it started with the uh, uh, watermelon varieties that they are they were producing there the the techniques to produce and how they in the end, 
could create value for everybody in the chain. So we work very closely to our growers in order to implement sustainable farming practices, including water management in order to reduce the, the water waste. We introduce drip irrigation in all Pingodose areas instead of sprinkler uh, uh, irrigation that normally wastes a lot of water. And then this combination of uh, innovative breeding, sustainable farming, culminate, culminating the creation of Pingodose watermelon that set a new standard for quality and taste. So the process of creating smaller, seedless and tastier watermelon involves the traditional uh, breeding techniques. Breeders uh, create hybrids. Breeders normally uh, give us uh, or send us more than 200 new hybrids for each year. And then we are evaluating and uh, after six to seven years of evaluations, maybe we can have one or two new hybrids. So it happened with Pingodose project. We identified the best hybrid that fits with our needs and then we create our project based on the hybrid profile that we already had. It was a big, big blockbuster to the Brazilian market and also a game changer. Golmar and his team are testimony to the fact that we can grow fruit and vegetables to suit all of our needs. And now we are seeing many entrepreneurs that was not watermelon growers starting to grow watermelon because they see that the market has a huge potential. So yeah, we, we are thinking about many ideas in order to, to have more uh, innovation to the market. And uh, we see that we have a bright future ahead because right now we see the past and we see nowadays the improvement of uh, the change has had in this, in this seven years. So it was huge. And we are seeing a movement that uh, don't stop right here. Maybe, maybe in the next, in the next uh, years, we can see many other innovative uh, hybrids in the market because now growers, they believe that they can succeed, they can invest, then they, they, they get the right return on their investment. We are already seeing Pingo Doce project in Argentina. And also some Pingo Doce has been exported to the Asian market. We are very happy to see what we made to now, but more than this, what we can do more. Solving the problems of transport and food waste is an incredible development, and it shows that innovators and technicians are listening to farmers and consumers. But there is one thing that Golmar told me that remains perhaps one step too far, perhaps? Square watermelon is not the easy to have, huh? To have square watermelon, we need to put, since the beginning of the fruit, I don't know, the size of a tennis ball, we need to put the, the fruits in a very strong box. Because when the fruit grows, they need to have the shape of that box. So the box needs to have the perfect size, because if it's too small, the fruit explodes. And if it's too big, the fruit will not get the shape of the, of the box. And uh, yeah, the box needs to be very, very strong. It's built from iron and uh, you can imagine that the cost is not, is not cheap. In a Pingodose area, one plant could generate three fruits. 
so we need to have 12,000 bucks per hectare. So it's huge. If I think about to, to have 10% of square watermelon from that field, whoa, we are, we are talking about 100 hectares. It's so much, it's so much iron box that we need to have. It could be very much more convenient to, to consumers and also to the logistics side because uh, square is much easier to, to, to deliver, but it's not easy to produce, I can, I can say. Square watermelons may one day become a reality, but rather than gazing into the potential future, let's keep ourselves grounded with what is realistically going to happen in the world of fruit growing. Here's Ali Kappa again. So I think there'll be continued development on variety and growing systems. Robotic picking will be the next big game changer and we are trialling growing systems, two-dimensional growing systems rather than today's three-dimensional growing systems because robots are never going to be as clever as a human. Robots can only cope with two dimensions. The human can deal with the three-dimensional environment. So that's quite that's going to be quite a big development. That will be the next game changer. And then after that, I guess there's a question over, are we ever going to put trees in a building, in a vertical growing environment? I doubt it in a, a mild maritime climate. Um, the energy cost to introduce light and water doesn't make sense to me for what is an outdoor growing system but who knows climate change and weather volatility one of the big risks for us is hail um so i guess hail netting may become more um more of a dominant feature in uk growing Uh, those are the key ones i think margins are tight for farmers and they like all of us have been experiencing difficult times And so I asked Ali how optimistic she is about the value of what she produces and what she believes will happen to her profits in the future. The price that comes back to the farm gate needs to reflect the cost of production. And we've had super inflation in our costs in the last 12 to 18 months. The cost of growing an apple has gone up by 23% for the grower. The grower has had back um, about 0.8% more from the market. So a static return in the face of all that inflation. However, the shopper is paying more in the UK. The lowest price Apple, according to ONS, has gone up by 17%. So there's a disparity there. Um, if growers aren't making a profit, and they're not today, if they're not making a profit, they won't reinvest. So all this investment piece that we've been talking about won't come to bear. And what will happen is we'll import more fruit. Um, I think that would be shocking. I think it would be morally reprehensible. So the market needs to fix this and it needs to fix it quick. It seems absurd that we are importing so many amazing varieties of apple that we can grow here in the UK. But through global trade, we are able to eat some of the most wonderful fruits that we've heard about today. Watermelons grown in China, where they produce 79 million tonnes a year, peaches from Spain, Italy and Greece, where the climate ripens them to perfection, You name it, we can get it here in our stores. We are lucky, but in order to maintain this market of delicious fruit, it is important that we also support our local producers and remind farmers how vital they are in providing us with a ready supply, whatever the time of year it is. 
the initial idea was to have um, a green uh, runaway in the cotton fields. So sustainability for us is maintaining um, a livable uh, textile industry. In the next episode, we're heading to the United Nations to discover how a cotton initiative we recently featured in a podcast is attempting to go global. The collection is divided in two main parts. In the first part, we focus on more airy and simple lines with emphasis on detail and more natural. How does it feel to see some of your cotton on the catwalk? It was um, really a pleasure. It made me emotional. We feel very proud today. Thank you for listening to The Science Behind Your Salad with me, Jane Craigie, brought to you by BASF and Fresh Air Production. Be sure to follow us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. Thank you for listening.